The sermon series through the Apostle Paul's letter to the Romans continues this morning reading from chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. Let us ask the Lord to bless the reading and hearing of his holy word. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for the glorious gospel of your Son, Jesus Christ, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins, and the hope of glory. We pray in his name for the blessing of the Holy Spirit upon us afresh to open our minds with spiritual insight and understanding, open our hearts, make our hearts tender to your word. Grant us grace, O Lord, to receive your word in faith and respond obediently and joyfully with gratitude to the glory of your name. Amen. Romans 6, beginning at verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that, Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. And now unto him who loves us, who has freed us from our sins by his blood, to Jesus Christ be all praise, honor, and glory. Amen. So, Paul, by works of the law, no human being will be justified. But you've said that sinners are justified by God's grace as a gift through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, the wrath-appeasing, justice-satisfying, substitutionary sacrifice to be received by faith. And therefore, you've been telling me Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
And furthermore, you just told me that where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So Paul, what you're telling me is, Jesus paid it all. His death on the cross covers all my sins, past, present, and future. So I've got an open line of credit. All i got to do is believe in Him and I can just keep running up the bill. Because it sort of sounds like what you're telling me is, the more I sin, the more I'm forgiven. And the more I'm forgiven, the more God's free grace is revealed. And the more God's free grace is revealed, the more glory God gets. So it doesn't really matter if I go on sinning. More sin... More grace, more glory to God. Isn't that what you're telling me, Paul? Believe it or not, that kind of cynical and specious rationale arose in response to the Apostle Paul's declaration of justification by faith alone in Christ alone. Some people were actually taking the glorious gospel of salvation by grace alone through faith alone and perverting it into a justification for continuing in sin, in a sinful lifestyle. They were taking the gospel's announcement of freedom from sin and twisting it into a philosophy of freedom to sin. The Apostle Paul had to deal with that kind of devil's logic in his own day. And so do we in ours. Let's pause a moment for review. In the previous 10 sermons covering passages from chapter 3, 21 through the end of chapter 5, We've been in that major section of Romans which focuses on justification, how sinners are made right with God. And the Apostle Paul in Romans 3.21 through 5.21 deals with that question. And he answers that question, as you know, by proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ who lived a perfectly obedient, righteous life on our behalf keeping and fulfilling the law of God so that he might also offer himself up as the perfectly sinless substitutionary sacrifice for our sins, bearing our sins in his own body on the tree. By his death, the justice of God against sin was satisfied. The wrath of God was appeased for all who receive him as their Savior. And when we by faith receive Jesus Christ, our sins are forgiven. We receive His perfect righteousness as our own, as a gift. We are declared by virtue of our union with Christ to be righteous in Him. Having a right standing with God in Him, with Him, just as He Himself, just as Christ Himself has a right standing before His Father. And we do nothing to earn that, deserve that, or make ourselves worthy of it. 
Now that's justification by faith alone in Christ alone. We don't even take credit for the faith by which we receive that gift. It is all by grace, even that faith by which we receive the gift. So that no man may boast. Well, that's where we've been for the last ten sermons. Drilling down deep. Making sure that our faith is in Christ alone and not in any way in ourselves or our good intentions. Or our efforts to try harder to be good people. And therein lies the danger. The danger that people will mistake justification by faith as a license for sinning. I got my ticket punched. I'm going to heaven. Have a good time till then. Well, see, today at chapter 6, as we read Paul's rebuttal to those who pervert the grace of God into a license for sin, now we come to a new major section in the letter to the Romans. So make your note, put a little asterisk in your Bible, because for the past ten sermons, we've been focused on justification. And now today, a new section begins, focusing on sanctification. Even though the word sanctification doesn't appear in this passage, this is what this passage is about. Because sanctification is the work of God's Holy Spirit by His grace, whereby justified sinners, believers, are enabled more and more to die to sin, more and more to live to righteousness. Now, that word sanctification comes from a Latin root from which we get other related and familiar words. Sanctification sounds like, well, where are we? We're in a sanctuary. What is a sanctuary? A sanctuary is a special place that has been set apart for a special purpose. Now, more literally and more specifically, more precisely at its root, A sanctuary is a holy place. The Latin root, sanctus, means holy, which carries the meaning of both moral purity and special purpose. Moral, spiritual purity and special purpose. And that gets us back to sanctification. Sanctification is the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in the life of believers by which we are enabled more and more to grow in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, growing more nearly conformed to his likeness, becoming more like Christ in his holiness, in his purity, so that we may more fully and faithfully fulfill our special purpose, our holy purpose of living for God's glory as God's holy people. And and by definition, sanctification referring to the Holy Spirit's work in believers, enabling us to grow spiritually into the likeness of Christ, also enables us, as this passage says, to consider ourselves, to reckon ourselves dead to sin. And as Paul will say 
in chapter 8, to put to death the deeds of sin. So again, sanctification is a work of God's grace by the Holy Spirit enabling us to die to sin and to live a new life now, walking in newness of life. Now, as is clear from this passage in the way in which the Apostle Paul instructs us, the Holy Spirit instructs us through this passage, we can see that this sanctification process is an ongoing process throughout our life on earth. We never attain spiritual perfection in this life. That is the reason, for example, that uh, verse 11 says, you must consider yourselves dead to sin. In other words, you're going to confront sin and temptation in this world, you've got to remember that you're dead to that. You have a new life to live. Paul says at verse 12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. Well, that, imp- that implies somewhat of a struggle because the remaining sinful nature will seek to reign over you. The remaining sinful nature within us will seek to reign over us. Paul says, no, don't let that happen. Don't put yourselves in the service of sin. Put yourself in the service of God as those who have already been raised from death to life. Resurrection life begins now. Have you been justified by faith in Jesus Christ If you have been justified by the blood of Jesus, then you are being sanctified by the Holy Spirit. And your sanctification, though never brought to perfection in this world, will be brought to perfection when you are glorified on that day when Jesus Christ returns from heaven and transforms our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body. So... Here's the point, and and, and get the connection between the end of chapter 5, the beginning of chapter 6. True justification is the foundation of, it leads to, it is always connected to true sanctification. That's the reason that having reveled in the grace of God from chapter 321 through the end of 5, having established the doctrine of justification by faith alone in Christ alone, and saying that even as sin has abounded in the world through Adam, grace has abounded all the more through Jesus Christ, Paul asks this rhetorical question, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means, heaven forbid, may it never be. Paul vehemently denies that justification could be any basis for continuing in sin. That is, in a consistent, persistent, unrepentant life of sin. He he asks a rhetorical question to show the absurdity of such a thought. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Paul's point is that it is impossible for justification by faith to be the foundation for a life that continues in sin and continues to enjoy and celebrate sin. 
Paul is saying, how could anyone go on living that kind of life after he or she has died to that way of life? And then Paul reminds them and reminds us of the all-encompassing symbol and seal of their death to sin, baptism. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Now, if the Lord wills, after Easter... I'm going to come back to this passage and deal more fully with what this passage says about baptism, the significance of baptism in the Christian life, and uh, how and to what degree, to what extent is it the case that the administration of the sacrament of baptism unites us with Christ. We'll, We'll come back to that, but here's the big idea. Baptism is the sign and symbol of our union with Christ in his death and in his resurrection. And Paul is reminding the Christians in Rome, and he's reminding us by by referring to our baptism. It doesn't matter at what point it took place in our life. That it is a testimony to a definitive break, a definitive shift, a change, a death, and a new life through faith in Christ. Their baptism and ours identifies them and us with Jesus Christ in his death and burial. It's Jesus' death that brought the definitive break. You remember how in the preceding passage last Sunday, we spoke of our corporate unity, our corporate solidarity with Adam in Adam. And how in Adam, when he fell, we all fell with him. And we incurred his guilt. But in Christ, we have a new Adam. We are incorporated into, by faith, incorporated into him. He is our head. He is our representative. And so when Christ died on the cross, suffering the condemnation of the old Adam, then we, in union with Christ through faith, in terms of our old Adam, we died with him. Now, Jesus died 2,000 years ago outside the city of Jerusalem. How can we who live today say that we have died with Christ? Verse 8, if we have died with Christ. What does that mean? Well, at least part of what it means is this. The Holy Spirit is the eternal spirit of the eternal God. The Holy Spirit is not bound by space and time. Brothers and sisters, what happened on the cross 2,000 years ago happened for you. On the cross, Jesus bore in his own body the punishment for all the sins of all the people all over the world who would come to believe in him throughout all history. And when the gospel is preached in the power of the Holy Spirit and people hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and believe it, They are, you are, by the work of the Spirit, which transcends space and time, united to Christ on the cross. That includes you who believe. And you, in your identity with Adam, was put to death. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? If you are a believer in Christ, then yes, you were there. 
You and your fallen nature. You and your union with the old Adam. You and your slavery to sin. You were under, you under the law of, under the law and the, under the curse of sin. You were there. And when Christ died, you in your union with fallen Adam died with him. When Christ was raised from the dead, you were raised with him. That's our spiritual resurrection. How, how, can, how could we go on living a life devoted to sin if we've been united with Christ in his death for our sins? Verse 6 says, we know that our old self, the, the translation, make a note of this in your Bible. It's an unfortunate modern translation. The, the best translation is, we know that our old man, that's the word, our old man, referring to Adam, our union with Adam, our corporate solidarity of, in fallen humanity. We know that our old Adam was crucified with Christ in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Now, by that phrase, body of sin, he's not referring to our, our physical bodies. He's referring to the, the, the being caught in the system, the overarching, oppressive, enslaving bondage to sin in Adam. So that we're trapped in sin. We're enslaved to sin and Whenever in the New Testament you, you, you read the word slavery, you've got to be thinking, you got to be thinking of Israelites in Egypt. Paul's drawing on the Exodus here. Paul is drawing on the Exodus. And, he's, and, and he is saying that just as Israel was set free from slavery in Egypt to live a new life, we've been set free from, look at the language he uses, the slavery of sin, the dominion of sin, the reign of sin. It's over. It's all been done away with. That life under the enslaving power of sin Under the curse of death, it's over. Christ's death was for us our death under God's judgment. It's over. It's behind us. If you are in Christ, the death that you fear, (laughs) it's behind you. It's already happened. Because if you are in Christ, the death that you fear was put to death on the cross. And that means, as Paul says, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too are now called right now to walk in newness of life. In other words, resurrection life begins now in this life for believers in Christ. Of course not perfected. There is glory yet to come, of course. But the, the future reality is now present in some measure. The Holy Spirit has come, given us new life, resurrection life. And so verse 11 says, you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. Present yourselves now to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Start living it out now. Now. 
Again, think of the parallel with the slaves in Egypt. There was nothing they could do to change their identity. They couldn't stop being slaves. They were trapped in a political economic system with no way out. That was a historical reality. But it serves as a picture of our life in union with fallen Adam, enslaved to sin. No way to save ourselves. No way out. But God delivered the Israelites out of Egypt. He saved them from the angel of death by the blood of the Lamb and brought them out of the house of slavery to live a new life in freedom, in obedience to His commandments. You see, God, by His grace and power, put an end to that old life of slavery. He gave the Israelites a new life of freedom. But you know what happened? After they passed through the Red Sea, went into the wilderness, on their way to the Promised Land, they hadn't gotten there yet, and then what? Want to go back. Some of them wanted to go back to Egypt. Some of them wanted to go back into slavery. Are you kidding me? This is what Paul's saying. You had the Passover. You had the angel of death. You had the parting of the Red Sea. You're out. You want to go back? You want to go back to that? That old way of life under fallen Adam has been put to death. Crucified with Christ. Buried with them. So that... We would no longer be enslaved to sin because, you see, in Christ we're not only free from sin's guilt, but we're free from sin's power to rule, reign, oppress, dominate us, control our lives. And here's the difference. This is the difference. Because in some sectors of American Christianity, justification has been proclaimed, but sanctification has not been. So what it means is, oh, I profess faith in Christ. Oh, I walk the aisle. Oh, I raise my hand. I sign the card. Oh, I go, I, you know, I, I, go to, I go to church with my family. I take communion. Oh, well, you know, I'm, you know, I'm saved. What difference does it make? That's exactly the question. What difference does it make? And if it doesn't make a difference, then there is no difference. And there's no real justification. I want to be clear, justification is by faith alone. But when that's real, it's going to bear the fruit of a life which is being sanctified. Not, Not perfect, not perfectly sinless. We don't reach perfection. But there's going to be a change. There's going to be a shift. There's going to be a dramatic break. It's going to manifest itself in the things that we love and the things that we hate. The trajectory of our lives. What are we living for? It means that we have the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit so that we really do have the strength to resist the devil. We have the power and the desire to turn away from sin. Doesn't mean it's easy. It means that we have a growing love for the Lord Jesus Christ and a growing desire to honor Him and that our lusts, our desires, our cravings for the pride and the pleasures of this world are becoming less and less. They've been put to death and we ourselves have been, have died in relation to them. The things that used to matter just simply don't matter that much anymore. As God's justified people, we are called to live sanctified lives 
lives consecrated to God, dedicated to God, offered up to his service, growing in grace. How do we grow in grace? How does the Holy Spirit work sanctification in us? Well, the basic way in which the Holy Spirit works sanctification in us is corporate worship on the Lord's Day, the study of God's word, the reverent receiving of God's word and the gospel proclaimed, the examination of ourselves and repentance from sin and seeking God's mercy and seeking God's renewing grace in our life to help us overcome those besetting sins and those, those ways in which our personalities have been inclined towards sin. That's sanctification. And it grows out of our justification. Because if by faith we have been united to Christ in his death and resurrection, we have a new life to live by the power of his spirit to the glory of his Father. And this life in the spirit will lead us to being glorified together with Christ on the day that he returns. To his name be all praise, honor, and glory. Amen. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, which instructs us in the way of your Son, Jesus Christ, and we pray that you would grant us the grace whereby we might more and more die to sin and live to righteousness with joy and thanksgiving as those who have been brought from death to life, through Christ our Lord. Amen. In response to the gospel of Jesus Christ, let us stand to affirm the faith of the one church of Jesus Christ throughout history and throughout the world as we say together the Apostles' Creed. Christian, in whom do you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, And in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost the holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen.